Welcome to Regenerative Medicine Today. This is John Murphy. My pleasure to welcome to this podcast, Dr. Neil Turner. Dr. Turner is a assistant professor in surgery at the University of Pittsburgh and a member of the McGowan Institute for Regenerative Medicine. Dr. Turner, welcome to Regenerative Medicine Today. It's a pleasure to be here. And Dr. Turner's interest are in tissue engineering. Let's begin by just briefly giving a synopsis of what tissue engineering is. Tissue engineering is a term that covers a variety of techniques for using different approaches to promote healing in the body. So it involves biological aspects, so using bioactive molecules to promote healing, but it also includes things like materials and how materials interact with the body and how those materials can be used to augment healing in the body. You've been focusing on wound healing using tissue engineering. So what are the basic, what's the state of the art in this particular field? Currently, the state of the art in wound healing is really to allow the body to heal itself. If you were to go into hospital today with some kind of wound, like a chronic wound, like a diabetic ulcer. Treatments for that generally are some kind of wound dressing, where the idea is to keep the wound moist, protect it from infection, and allow the the body to heal itself. So really, there's not much technology involved. The wound dressings that are out there are really designed to promote a moist wound environment using either things like hydrogels or uh, dressings that are gas permeable but waterproof. And so our approach in the lab is to try and use tissue engineering to augment that process, to provide bioactive molecules that will stimulate the body to regenerate that wound, to promote re-epithelialization and to promote vascularization so that it becomes an active process, so that the dressing is an active part of that wound healing process rather than just a passive covering. So there's been some clinical studies with some of these techniques. Can you share a couple of highlights? Our lab works with extracellular matrix. Extracellular matrix is derived from the tissues in the body, it goes through a decellularization process to remove the cells and what's left behind is termed extracellular matrix. It's a protein rich scaffolding that is produced by the cells and it contains a lot of bioactive molecules. It contains structural proteins like collagens and What we found in in the the lab is that the signals that extracellular matrix contain are important for promoting healing in the body. When cells see that material, it stimulates them to form new tissue in a much better way than if that matrix wasn't there at all. So 
we've done a number of studies in the lab where we've used this material to promote wound healing. And what we found is that it really has a, a twofold process. It acts on inflammation and it stimulates progenitor cells and stem cells that are resident within the tissues of the body to form and proliferate and form new tissue. So in terms of inflammation, the components of the extracellular matrix as it's being degraded act on the macrophages that are the cells responsible for removing dead and dying tissue. So when there's a wound, the first things that happen is that macrophages become activated and they will migrate into that wound site and remove any dead or damaged tissue that's there. Now, in chronic wounds, those macrophages persist and they just continually remove damaged tissue and create an environment that is not conducive to new tissue forming. Any new tissue that's formed is quickly removed by the, the macrophages that are there. Now, when our extracellular matrix scaffolds are used, those degradation products of that scaffold mimic the host tissue. And so the macrophages see that as normal healthy tissue instead of damaged tissue. And so they switch from being inflammatory cells that are removing the damaged tissue to what we term pro-remodeling cells, where they then start to secrete things that stimulate other cells like fibroblasts or tissue resident progenitor cells to start forming new extracellular matrix and new tissue that's appropriate to that wound site. So using these technologies, you've had some clinical successes. Can you share a couple of highlights? One of our biggest successes in terms of wound healing is the skeletal muscle repair. We've worked with the Army on a number of projects dealing with wounded veterans that have been coming back from the recent conflicts in Iraq and Afghanistan. Many of those suffer injuries as a result of improvised explosive devices that leads to a lot of soft tissue loss. So soft tissues like the muscles and the tendons that allow your limbs to move. So many of these veterans come back with injuries that essentially change their standard of living. The loss of muscle or the loss of the tendon that attaches the muscle to the bone that allows the limb to move essentially means that that person no longer has the, the functional use of that limb. And in the past, that has been treated by amputation, even though there really wasn't any damage to the structure of the leg, the, the bones were still intact. Many of these patients had amputations simply because there was no way to regenerate that lost muscle and reattach the muscle to the bone and allow movement. So we've done a couple of studies now with army veterans where we've treated their muscle loss with our extracellular matrix scaffolds. And we've been able to regenerate 
significant amounts of muscle that they've lost. These patients are starting with 70 or 80% muscle loss, and we're able to regenerate 20 or 30% of that muscle back again. But more importantly, we're able to reattach the muscle to the bone and give them functionality back again. So these patients have gone from not being able to walk upstairs to being able to ride bikes, being able to play basketball again. It's really transformed their lives. Another study that we've been working on more recently is in the treatment of Barrett's esophagus and esophageal cancer. Esophageal cancer is a disease that is associated with gastric reflux. So people that have gastric reflux for prolonged periods of time, what happens is that the lower end of the esophagus where it attaches to the stomach, the acid reflux causes that tissue to start to differentiate and become more like the lining of the stomach and less like the lining of the esophagus. And over time, that can cause those cells to become cancerous and proliferate uncontrollably. It's a disease that is very difficult to treat with current treatment strategies. The esophagus is very prone to scarring and constriction. So in general, any surgical intervention leads to a scar forming, which prevents the esophagus from performing its normal function. That scar will constrict the esophagus and stop patients swallowing food. And so in a lot of cases, the treatment for the disease is actually worse than having the disease itself, because once you have that surgery, you're on a path to having repeat procedures done to remove that scar tissue. What we found is we've taken a, a different approach that if we go in early, where the patients have the early differentiation step known as Barrett's esophagus, we can remove the lining of the esophagus, remove that damaged lining of the esophagus and line that tissue with our extracellular matrix scaffolds. And what we found in that case is that over time, those extracellular matrix scaffolds are actually able to promote restoration of the, the mucosal lining of the esophagus without the scar tissue formation. And so that is potentially treatment for esophageal cancer because now you have the ability to have a surgical intervention without the scarring and the debilitating consequences of that surgery afterwards. Most promising, both cases. So I'd like to congratulate you and your colleagues on your commitment to move things from the bench to the bedside. But let's talk a little bit more about the science. I understand that the, these extracellular matrix is how it forms and what it forms is a function of dynamic forces that are applied during the remodeling. Can you tell us a little bit more about that? Like I said before, the extracellular matrix is a component of the tissues that is produced by the cells that comprise those tissues. So different tissues have different physical characteristics. If you think about skin, for example, it's a very dense tissue. And so the extracellular matrix is a very dense 
extracellular matrix it's very rich in collagen whereas tissue like the bladder for example where it's it's constantly required to stretch and contract in order to cope with filling and excreting the urine has a much more elastic matrix and so we found that different tissues produce different extracellular matrices and when these are implanted in the body they have a different effect when they're implanted based on these physical properties the wound itself is a very dynamic environment it's not just affected by soluble factors things like growth factors or ph or oxygen concentration there are physical properties that are exerted on the tissues that define how those tissues function so for example skeletal muscle is a physical tissue it's required to contract it's required to expand it's a dynamic tissue and if you don't have those dynamic forces acting when the extracellular matrix scaffolds are implanted the cells that then invade into that tissue site don't receive the signals that they need to tell them that it's skeletal muscle and so what happens in those cases is that the extracellular matrix will remodel but it will simply remodel into a collagen connected tissue but if those scaffolds are allowed to see the mechanical forces that are inherent in those tissues when the stem cells and progenitor cells get into that wound site and start to proliferate they see those mechanical forces and they see oh i see i need to become a contractile cell in order to to cope with these mechanical forces i need to become skeletal muscle so one of the reasons why the extracellular matrix scaffolds have been so successful in the skeletal muscle regeneration studies that we've done is because the same scaffold material can become multiple different tissue types depending on the mechanical forces that are acting on it so one of the reasons we've been able to rejoin muscle to tendon tissue again is because we can suture that scaffold material to the muscle and we can suture it to the tendon and at the tendon site the cells that invade that scaffold see mechanical forces that cause them to differentiate and become tendon but at the muscle site they see different mechanical forces that cause them to become skeletal muscle and so we essentially form a new musculotendinous junction that allows the functional forces of the muscle to be translated through the tendon back into that limb again. So just to clarify, uh, you're talking about soft tissue, not hard tissue like bone or cartilage, is that correct? Correct. What's the state of the art of bone tissue is there? Bone tissue is another interesting area. I think most people will be aware of of what happens currently when you break a bone. your limb is put in plaster and the the bones allowed to heal or if it's a severe break they use mechanical pins to join those broken bones back together again what we're working on in the in the lab now is ways to 
regenerates bone. Now, that can be done in a number of different ways. Again, we can take bone tissue and we can decellularize it and we can end up with a biologic scaffold that will act as a, as a template for the osteoblasts in the bone to start forming new bone tissue around it. But what's perhaps more interesting is that we can take the actual bioactive components, things from within that extracellular matrix and use those in a way to augment and promote bone growth in a much quicker way than would be possible with the normal healing rate in the body. So we can go from a broken arm that maybe takes four to six weeks to heal to reducing that down to maybe three to four weeks simply by providing a, an injection of growth factors and other extracellular matrix components that we know in the lab promotes bone formation. Dr. Turner, I understand that you have some new findings in terms of nanovesicles. Can you explain what nanovesicles are and how it's relevant to this discussion? Yes. So people have found in the past that there are nanovesicles secreted by all the cells in the body. And they were first discovered in fluids like blood and saliva and the synovial fluid of joints. They identified these nanoparticles that contained growth factors and nucleic acids that were secreted by the cells and secreted into the circulation. And these exosomes, as they were called, were thought to act as a communication pathway, so a way for cells to communicate with each other, but also a way for cells to communicate to other cells in other parts of the body. So one of the examples that is often given is in patients with rheumatoid arthritis or osteoarthritis, the synovial fluid of that joint is protected from the rest of the body. It's an acellular space, the, the only cells within that synovial joint are the, the cartilage cells. And what researchers had found was that exosomes secreted into that synovial fluid would get into the circulation and were thought to act on inflammatory cells and other cells in the body as a signaling mechanism to tell them that there was damage and injury happening in that joint. Now, over time, researchers have found that there are extracellular vesicles in other locations throughout the body. And we've recently discovered that in the extracellular matrix, there are actually nanovesicles that are embedded within the extracellular matrix itself. Now, the research that we're doing in the lab is still very early, but we found that these matrix-bound nanovesicles, as we call them, are distinct from other extracellular vesicles in the body. So they have structural and compositional differences to exosomes and other 
matrix vesicles that have been associated with things like calcification. And we found that if we purify these matrix-bound nanovesicles from the extracellular matrix, a lot of the constructive remodeling properties that are associated with the extracellular matrix also occur with these matrix-bound nanovesicles. So we have the potential here to have an injectable treatment where we can purify these matrix-bound nanovesicles from the extracellular matrix and use those as a treatment rather than using the extracellular matrix itself. And this is something that we're particularly excited about in the lab. Um, the things that we're finding out about the properties of these nanovesicles makes us really excited for being able to use these nanovesicles to treat injuries and diseases that are currently very difficult to treat. Things like rheumatoid arthritis, things like injuries to the eye, where we can actually take these nanovesicles and inject them into the eye itself and potentially promote healing of the nerves in the eye, or in the case of rheumatoid arthritis, promote a healing environment that will allow the damage to the cartilage to be either stopped or regressed and allow new cartilage to form. Dr. Turner, thank you for joining us today and sharing with us your pioneering studies. Your work is promising and the clinical examples you shared are encouraging. Thank our listeners for joining us. You welcome suggestions and mail it to your genitive medicine today.com. And until we meet again, thank you for listening.